This is week number three of our series called Made for More. And before we jump into today's message, uh, can we just give God some praise on what he did last weekend? 625 people in service, 61 of which checked the B-Box set, I'm putting my faith in Jesus. That's awesome. Come on. Uh, I love that. I love that. And we had many more that said, I'd like to consider a relationship with God a little bit more, which is awesome. I love that. You just keep coming and don't feel obligated to give or to serve or to participate. You just check this whole Jesus thing out. And we even had one person that checked D. I don't ever intend on beginning a relationship with Jesus. And so uh, I want those of us who call Colonial Hill home to join me in prayer for this young man that he's going to come to faith. He's going to be a bee before this whole thing's over in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, That's what we're praying for. I went into Easter with such high expectations and, and God, as he always does, exceedingly abundantly more than we can ever ask or imagine and we give him all the glory in Jesus name and then of course we asked you a few questions on a survey and that was really helpful information for us we asked what kind of messages you would like to see preached here in the future and you gave us some really great responses and I appreciate that as well as on the question which worship style do you most prefer and of the hundreds and hundreds of surveys we received uh, our office staff Kathy and Nancy kind of calculated the results and I'll just give those to you it's kind of interesting so 10.6% or roughly one out of 10 people said I would like a traditional only service. Uh, 24% or roughly one out of four people said I want a contemporary only service. And the overwhelming majority, 65.4% or roughly two out of three people said I'd like a blend of both. And so I think that's gonna give our, our new music minister search committee some clear direction on uh, the desires of Colonial Hill Baptist Church in our future worship. So thank you, thank you for doing that. It's extremely, extremely helpful. Again, we're in week number three of our five-part series called Made for More. And 3,500 years ago, God made four core promises to his people, and those four things God still wants to do in you today. We know they're eternal promises because those same four things keep showing out all throughout the Old and New Testaments in the Bible. So in week one, we talked about the promises of God. We want to pursue the promises of God. We got to find them and pursue them, and you can listen to that message online. By the way, if you haven't gone to our website, we encourage you to do so, colonialheal.org. We're updating it, putting new content on it every week, but you can actually listen to messages on colonialheal.org, or if you want to jump on a podcast, we're now on iTunes and on Google Play. You can subscribe to it and give us a favorable like. If it's not a favorable like, just keep your opinion to yourself. Um, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. But you can listen to, uh, if you miss a message, if you're out of town. And hopefully next week, uh, we're going to be live streaming on Facebook Live. So uh, it's just exciting times. We're getting the gospel out to the masses. And then last week, we started looking at each of the four promises one at a time. There are four I wills that God wants to do in you. And the first mention of these is in Exodus 6, verses 6 and 7. We looked at this passage. Let's look at it again. It says, therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and there's the first one, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. So the first thing God wants to do, I will bring you out from under the yoke of bondage. So God's first desire in you is not to change you, it's not to train you, it's not to do any great thing in your life. He just wants to get you out. He's trying to set you free from any bondage that you might be experiencing. That's the first promise. And again, you can listen to last week's message online. It's called Get Saved. The second promise says, I will free you from being slaves to them. And when I first read that, I thought, well, that's redundant. He just freed us and now he's gonna free us again. Well, it's different. It's a different kind of freedom. He says, no, not only do I need to get you out of Egypt, 
but now that you're out of Egypt, I've got to get the Egypt out of you. In other words, we're still thinking like slaves. We're still acting like slaves. We don't have a master, but we're acting like we still have a master. Stuff is telling you how to live your life, and I want to free you from all that, God is saying. That's what we're talking about today. That's the second promise. The third promise says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. And here's the tragedy of promise number three that we're going to talk about next week. Studies show that 87% of Christians in America never get here. They never even realize the third promise. I want to redeem you. And the word redeem literally means to buy back to its original intent. So I want to, I want to, you were here for a purpose. You weren't created to be a slave. You weren't created to get out of slavery. I have a purpose for you on this planet. I want you to discover that purpose and we're gonna help you do that next week. Then finally, the fourth promise is, I will take you as my own people. The interesting thing about that one is the first three are all individual, you, 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 and now I wanna put you in a place where you're making a difference. Put you on a team, put you in a church, put you in a small group, put you in a community around the right connections. It's then and only then that you will know that I'm the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. It's only then that you realize all that God has for you. And I'm convinced there are scores of people who are rejecting the final two promises of God that they don't even know exist. So today we're gonna talk about promise number two. And I wanna make sure you understand the distinction between promise one and promise two. They're, they're two different promises. And the reason I wanna show you the distinction is I want you to understand that salvation is so easy. So for a lot of people, uh, you, you might be critical. 61 people got saved last week, really? Are, are you watering things down? That just seems like a really high number. Surely that's not possible, that many people being ready. And I wanna assure you, salvation is absolutely that easy. God did it that way so that nothing you would ever have to do would be mixed with it so you can't take any credit for your salvation. I wanna show you two in scripture. This is Ephesians 2. 8 and 9, it says, God saved you by his, say that word with me, grace. grace. He saved you by his grace. And grace, I define grace as God at work. Doesn't have anything to do with me. It's not me plus God. It's not me. It's God and God alone. It's his grace that saves us when you believed. So that's all you had to do was just sit there and go, uh-huh, I believe that. That's all you had to do was believe. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. So God decides, I'm gonna save you, and the only step he requires from you is just to believe that, to surrender to him, to give your whole heart and turn that over to him. Again, verse nine, salvation is not a reward for stuff you do. You don't have to prove yourself. You don't have to get yourself together. You don't have to change anything about yourself to get saved. It's not based on the good things that we've done. It's, it's based on the good thing that he did on the cross, amen? That's, that's why we're saved. It's only through Jesus' sacrifice for us. And thus, none of us can boast in ourselves. We can only boast in what Jesus did on our behalf. Okay, time out, Pastor Reed. Why does the Bible have so many things in it about how I'm supposed to live my life? That's kind of confusing. What's that all about then? The Bible does talk about grace and it does talk about works. It talks about both. both. But God never wanted any works to be included in the first promise because he didn't want you taking any credit for your salvation. It's a simple, free gift. In one moment, Jesus sweeps into your life when you believe, when you surrender, when you give your life to him, and he erases everything in your past. He gives you a brand new clean slate so that you can now, now after I'm saved, begin the process 
of changing. But he puts it in two completely different promises because he didn't want you to equate what you did to change with your salvation because then you're taking credit for your salvation. And it's not by works, it's all by his work on the cross. So he makes it a completely separate process. It's talked about in Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. It says, work hard, not work hard to get saved, but work hard to show the results of your salvation. So you're already saved, and now you're working hard, and time to get to work, because now I'm saved, and I've gotta start working this thing out. To show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. And this is for those who would say, well, where's all that? Well, it's right here. It's all over the Bible. We teach it here. In fact, I'm talking about it today. I'm gonna call you to some things that God wants to do in you now that you are saved. You're gonna have to work hard to show reverence, right? Show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear for God is working in you. But this is a new process though. This is different from the first promise. This is a process where God now wants to change you He's gonna take the fact that you are saved and let that be the beginning point to begin working new things in you and what he wants to do in your life. Let me say it this way. Salvation happens in a moment, in an instant. So if you're sitting there and you say, I believe in Jesus, I believe that he died for my sins, I believe that he was buried and he rose again, in that moment, in that instant, instantaneously you are saved. In that moment. You don't have to join any church. You don't have to walk any aisle. You don't have to get baptized. In that moment, you are saved. But now, there's a second promise. And it's not instantaneous. It's a process. In fact, you're probably going to be doing it for the rest of your Christian life. God now wants to work in you. You get saved, that's instantaneous, and then there's a process that really happens for the rest of our journey. He's gonna do two things. This is what the the scriptures say. He's gonna give you new desires, and he's gonna give you some power to pull it off. God says, I'm gonna start working on your desires, so you're gonna start wanting godly things. So all those things that you used to want, that you used to desire, that are ungodly, I'm gonna begin to remove those from your life, and I'm gonna give you some Holy Spirit power, but check it out, you're still gonna have to work you're still going to have to do it, and that's what promise two is all about. Let me explain why it works this way. You are, and I am, a triune being, meaning that we have three parts. You have a body, and the body is the physical part of you, the physical side of you. It's the part that we see. Now, your body has issues. My body has issues. They have cravings for things that aren't necessarily good for the body. My body constantly craves chicken McNuggets in Jesus' name. Uh, It's not good for me, okay? Uh, Our bodies want things. It has cravings, it has appetites, it has lusts. It likes all of that stuff, but those things aren't good for me. And I don't want my body in charge. If my body is always in charge, I'm gonna lead a very reckless life. We have a second part of us, and that's the soul part of us. Best is defined as like our mind and our will and our emotions. So not only do you have a physical part of you, but you also have feelings, you have a will, you have thoughts, you have all these things going on inside of you. And once again, you don't want your soul man directing your life because a person who's led by emotions also leads a reckless life. But there's a third part, you have a spirit part of you, and it's the part that's like God. So when God created you, Genesis says he created you in his image. In the image of God, he created you, male and female, he created you. You're created in the image of God. So I look like God? No, 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 no. It's because God is a spirit 
and we have a spirit. That's the part of us that is like God, and it's the part of you that actually lives forever. Now, check it out. When you got saved, the spirit part instantaneously, in that moment, is clean, becomes perfect. And when I say that, Jesus doesn't just forgive sin, he cleanses all sin, like it's expunged. It doesn't ever exist. It's like it never happened. You get a brand new clean slate. And that's important for you to know because you can only be in God's presence if you're perfect. So let me say it this way. All of us sin, all of us make mistakes. Romans 3 is pretty clear about that. All of us sin and fall short of the glory of God. If we sin one time, it creates this chasm between us and God. And it's not that he doesn't love you, quite the contrary. He loves you so much, he said, I gotta figure out a way for them to get back to me. But in that moment, we're separated from God when we sin one time. And in the beginning, they just had 10 sins. That was it, just 10. He says, I don't want you to put anything above me. Don't have any gods before me. Well, I've done that. And then he said, I want you to always honor your mother and father. I haven't always done that. I'm 0 for 2. And then he says, don't bear false witness. That's one of them. Don't bear false witness. Well, I've certainly told a lie before in my life. I'm 0 for 3. He says, thou shalt not murder. (laughs) I'm good there. And then Jesus came on the scene. If he said, if you ever hated someone in your heart, you've committed murder in your heart. I'm 0 for 4. Uh, He says, don't steal anything. I've certainly stolen answers from a neighbor's test or something. I've stolen things before. I'm 0 for 5. He says, don't commit adultery. I'm good there. And then Jesus, again, ruined that for me. He says, if you've ever looked at someone lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. I'm 0 for 6, how you doing, right? I mean, we sin, we fall short of the glory of God. And the penalty of that sin, the wages of that sin, the payment for that sin is death. So something has to die. It's supposed to be me and you. I've had friends that have told me, I I don't understand why a loving God would allow someone to go to hell. And I said, you've got it all backwards. Hell is not a place that that God sends people who he's mad at. Hell's a place where you pay for your own sins. So you're just writing that check. I'll I'll pay for them. But they've already been paid for. And so Jesus says, I love you so much. God says, I love you so much. I'm going to send my son, Jesus. I'm going to robe myself in flesh, come on this earth, live a perfect life. And it's not because it was easy. In fact, the Bible says in Hebrews that Jesus was tempted in every way we are tempted, yet he never sinned. He kept yielding his life to the will of God for his life. He never sinned and he died. Second Corinthians 5, 21, God made Jesus who had no sin become our sin. So he became sin and then he died for that sin so that in him, in a relationship with him, we might become the righteousness of God. And righteousness is a big church word that just means right standing. So I have right standing with God. So God sees me and I see God and he knows I blew it yesterday. He knows I'm gonna blow it today. And he goes, we're good, we're good. I don't see your sin, I see my son all over you. That's the beauty of the gospel. So what happens in all of that moment is that that Jesus comes in, pays for your sin, and he makes your spirit man perfect. Now that's awesome, but here's the problem. That's only promise number one. The other two parts of you, the body and the soul, haven't really taken that journey yet. They still have issues, which explains why there could be Christians who love God, yes, are going to heaven, but they're kind of jacked up. You know what I'm talking about? They still have lust, they still have issues, they still have sin. Does that make sense? But listen, listen, listen. God doesn't want you to stay there. God wants to free you from all that mess. He wants to free you, but some of us are just stuck living in sin, thinking, well, I'm going to heaven. Yes, you are. I'm a Christian. Uh Uh-huh. But you don't have to struggle with that any longer. God wants to free you from all of that. 
Here's the secret, and this is the journey I want to take you on as a pastor. I want to get that spirit part of you stronger than the other two parts. I want to get where that spirit part is so overwhelming that it just supersedes any any thought process of the other two. And when that happens, when your spirit part starts influencing the other two, now it can't happen though if the spirit part is weaker than the other two. And that's what happens to a lot of Christians. We've never taken the second promise seriously and allowed God to begin the process of making the spirit of you so strong that the other two begin to join the journey as well. You don't want them in charge. They do a horrible job when they're in charge. I mean, when your body's in charge, it doesn't care what your soul feels. I'll do what my body feels good to my body. If it feels good, I'm gonna do it. Don't, I'm not listening to you. I'll do what I want. Right? That's how the body thinks. It's a hedonistic mentality. And when your soul is in charge, I don't care about you, body. I don't care about you. I want to harm myself. I want to hurt myself. I might even end myself. That's when you get your emotions. I'm depressed. You get your emotions, and that starts leading you in bad directions. And not ideal. You don't want those things leading your life. And for some of us, we can totally identify with that. And you say, you know what, Pastor Reed, you're describing me to a T. I'm a follower of Jesus, but I have my body or my emotions and my will and those things that are controlling my life. Now, you're a candidate for promise number two. I got good news for you. We desire for the spirit man to be so strong that it starts to influence everything about you. The theological term for this is regeneration. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the spirit. So in other words, we're becoming more like him. We're being transformed into his image from glory to glory. First uh, Peter 2, 2 and 3 uh, says, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Paul said in Philippians 2, work out your salvation. You may grow up in your salvation now that you've tasted the Lord is good. So again, salvation happens instantaneously, but for the rest of our lives, we've got to work this, we've got to work it out. We've got to grow up. And there's so many people that are Christians that came to faith years and years ago and they're still baby Christians because they're not growing up in their salvation. They're not working out their salvation. So it is God, he's giving you new desires and he's certainly empowering you with the Holy Spirit, but you still have to go to the gym and work that out. So I wanna talk to you about the three focuses of promise number two. Write these down if you're taking notes. The first one is simply victory over sin. That's the first promise of promise number two. It's the first goal. Ultimately, we want you to be free. Have victory over sin, over making bad decisions. Listen, sin is just stuff that you do to yourself. That's how I describe it. It's just, it's stuff that you do to yourself. You and I make bad choices. You've said to yourself, am I always gonna be like this? Am I always gonna do this forever? It doesn't have to be that way. Can I go to heaven and have sin issues? Sure, but the Bible says that anyone who loves God does not continue to sin. So there's gotta be a point in our life we have to get that stuff out. Romans 7 says it this way. Paul said, and by the way, this is written for your comfort. If you're sitting there just kind of in, in shame and embarrassment, you got, can't believe I keep sinning. I keep doing the same thing over and over. Here is an apostle who struggled with the same issues. Maybe the greatest one that ever lived. He says, although I want to do good, okay, spirit man strong, I want to do good. Evil's right there with me, body and soul. Come on, Paul, come do this with us. All right? Trying to influence the journey. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, spirit man strong, 
But I see another law at work with me, in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. And then he, it's like, I just see him looking in the mirror going, what a wretched man I am. What a wretched man I am. And then he asks this great question, who will rescue me from this body? So I got this body over here that's trying to pull me away from that spirit part of me that's really trying to pursue God. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who, say the word out loud, delivers. So this is the promise of deliverance. Delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. The second goal of promise too is to have healing from your wounds. Healing from your wounds. So if sin is defined as what I do to myself, then I would define wounds as what others do to me. And sometimes this, this just, it's just a, a byproduct of a living life. There's just people that hurt you and they disappoint you and they abuse you. And perhaps you went through a horrible divorce as a child or as an adult, or maybe you had a tragedy or maybe an unexpected death. Fill in the blank. I didn't ask for this and now I'm messed up as a result. And I would say if you don't deal with your wounds once and for all through promise number two, you'll get stuck in promise number two and you'll never see the light of day for promises three and four. And I want you to hear something, that's the devil's plan for your life. He would love that because guess what? Promises three and four is when you begin to make a difference and change the world for him. Well, the devil doesn't want you to do that, so he'd love to keep you stuck in promise two for the rest of your life. Ephesians four, verses 26 and 27 says, and don't sin by letting anger control you. So the devil's trying to make you bad about something because he knows if he can make you mad and you can have resentment, then he's got control over your life. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry for anger gives a foothold to the devil. That's all he wants. He wants to stick his foot a jar in your door so that he always has some leverage, uh, leverage, some control. In other words, we're loving God, we're going to heaven, but we got this crack in the window because we can't let some hurt go. And at some point soon, I will preach some messages about forgiveness. In fact, when we did the, the survey last week, what, what, what do you wanna hear messages on? The overwhelming winner was help me with the people I hate because I hate so many people. <laughs> that was number one. <laughs> like, I need help with forgiveness. So we're gonna talk about that very soon. And I get it. I live in the world, I know people hurt us, I get it. And it's hard sometimes, but if you don't let go of your past, you will never see your future. That's a fact. Here's the last area we deal with in Promise 2. We need to learn how to take authority over the enemy. All right? Because you not only have your sin, and you not only have other people's sin against you, but you have a devil that hates your guts. And I don't care what you think about that and whether you think that's real or not, and if that's just hocus pocus and spooky, I've got news for you. You've got an enemy who's prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone in this room to devour. And he comes only to steal, kill, and destroy is what uh, John says. You don't even need to make bad choices or have somebody messing up your life to still have issues because the enemy is coming for you. At some point, you gotta learn how to take authority over the devil, and, and I wanna teach you how to do that. We're gonna go through a series later this year. We're gonna talk about how to take control of the enemy, have authority over the enemy in Jesus' name. Let me show you this. Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's scheme. So he's at the drawing board scheming against you. And I think he's trying a lot harder at stopping you than you are at stopping him. 
He's scheming. For our struggle, it goes on to say, it's not against flesh and blood. It's not my wife that I'm fighting with. It's not my spouse. It's not my kids. It's not my employer that I'm fighting with. It's not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You mean all that's going on in my life? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. So how do I find freedom? How do I receive this promise, Pastor Reed? Remember in Romans 7, when Paul says, man, who's going to rescue me from this body? Like, I got this body. I, I want to obey that spirit part, but I got this body part, this soul part that really lures me away. How do I find freedom? Well, the whole message continues in the next chapter. Romans 7 goes into Romans 8, verse 1, which says, so now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Look at me. You cannot let shame and embarrassment because you're in the condition you're in, rule you. There's no condemnation. If you have a relationship with Jesus, you say, I've been fighting that same sin struggle for decades, don't let that overcome you because there's no condemnation. God doesn't look at you and see your sin, so stop looking in the mirror and seeing your sin. If you do that, you will stay stuck. I think this is a huge message, especially for the Southern church because we've learned how to turn it on, right? Got the suit on. We get to church, how you doing? Oh, praise the Lord, amen, glory to God. How you doing? Oh, how you doing? Glory to God. Oh, better than I deserve, praise the Lord, amen. And you were fighting with your spouse the whole way to church, telling the kids, hey, you better smile. They need to think we're a happy family. How y'all doing? Praise the Lord, good to see you. We're really good at faking it. We're really good at that. We've learned how to hide our problems. I've got news for you. I've got issues. You've got issues. And as soon as we say, yep, that's me, I've got them, that's the beginning of freedom. You have to just recognize I've got issues and I need help with these things. But if you're going to hide behind condemnation, man, I don't want anybody to know that I've got problems, well, you're never going to be free. You're never going to be free. And that's God's promise. He wants you to be free. But if you keep hiding behind this mask, you'll never see that freedom. You'll stay stuck. So Paul starts the whole discussion, no condemnation. I'm telling you, there's none. And if you're looking for a perfect church, you found the wrong one, okay? Because we're not. We're far from perfect. I had somebody email me yesterday, face, Facebook me, messaged me, and said, uh, and he was in somewhat jest. He said, uh, I'm going to come to church tomorrow. And he's here. Thankfully, he's here. He says, you got, a, you got room on the back row for a sinner? <laughs> so we got a whole church full of sinners. Come on, bub. Like, th- that's who we are. But I don't want to stay in the hospital. I want to get well. I want to get healed. But until you get real, you won't get free. Look at verse two of Romans eight. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you. That's the promise. That's promise too. He's freed you. I want to free you from all that mess, from the power of sin that leads to death. Look at verse five. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature, here's your problem, here's my problem, this is the problem. We're dominated by sinful nature. Think about sinful things. This is, this is where the enemy's a father of lies and he's a great deceiver. The enemy can't get me to sin, but he can plant a seed of deception in my mind that gets me to sin. We think about those things, but those, are, uh, those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. Verse six, six, so letting your sinful nature control your mind, if you let your sinful nature control this, you're gonna stay stuck and it leads to death. 
but letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. Anybody want some life and peace in this building? Come on. You do. You want life. You want peace. That's what you get out of promise number two. And then you can go on to experience promises three and four. Let me ask you this question. The Bible says the reason I stay stuck is first of all, I have no condemnation or I have condemnation. That's why I stay stuck. But if I get unstuck, it's because I have no condemnation and I remember that. I've got to be honest and just say, I've got, it, I've got issues. I recognize I've got issues. But I've also got to let myself think new things. What has the most control over what you think? That's a good question. What has the most control over the way that you think? You know what the answer is? And I just know this. Uh, it's all over the Bible. And this is 14 years of pastoral experiences. It's the people around you. You show me your friends and I'll show you your future. If you hang out with the wrong people, uh, Proverbs 13, 20 says, walk with the wise and become wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. Like it, it, it is your associations. It, it, it's all about your associations. So if I want to change how I think, which is going to help me be free and move on to God's final two promises, then I've got to change my associations, which means, write this down, relationships are the key. They're the key to this whole promise. I've got to get in right relationships. I want to show you a verse in 1 John. This is really good and eye-opening. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Righteousness. So God forgives sins. That's his job. That's what he does. He takes care of what you did, but who's going to take care of making sure you don't do that thing again? Like when I sin, God forgives me, but then how do I make sure I don't do that again? That's not God's job. Look at James 5, 16. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. So people can't forgive you. Only God forgives you. People, the right people in your life can heal you. Here's the way I like to say it. I go to God for forgiveness and I go to God's people for, for, for healing. Okay, so... so I've got to have right relationships in my life if I ever am really going to receive promise number two. So here's what that looks like practically. So I've got some friends, uh, Ryan, uh, Casey Arnold, a lot of you know him. Uh, I've got some buddies in ministry and I just call them and I say, I'm taking the mask off. Guys, I'm struggling. I've got an issue. I need you to pray for me. I need you to call me. I need you to keep me accountable. And they do the same with me and, and, and we just, we help each other. And, and they tell me things they're struggling with. I tell them things. Again, I'm not asking you to take the mask off with everybody. I'm just asking you to take the mask off with somebody. To find somebody that you say, you know what? When I go on business trips, I look at things I shouldn't be looking at on the television. And I need you to pray for me. How about I come with you on your business trips? Even better, right? You just need somebody who's in your corner. We form a bond and fellowship of honesty and transparency. And little by little, my life begins to change. If you'll try it by yourself, you'll discover this works. You'll discover this works. And so I'm going to close today's message with what I feel like is my responsibility as a pastor. 61 people last week checked the B box. I'm beginning a real relationship with Jesus. Uh, and that was very easy because it is. It's a free gift. You don't have to work for it. There's nothing you need to do. Just surrender your life to him. And a bunch of people did. But now it's time if you made that decision to live that out. How do I live it out? How do I... 
How do I take this salvation and begin to work at my salvation, to grow up in my salvation? And I'm going to give you three things that deal with associations that I want you to do. And this is not really the way you end the message. I know typically we want to tell a good story and leave it feeling good and maybe a funny laugh. No, this is, this is not, not the best way. But I just want to shepherd you. I want to lead you. I want to pastor you. I want to tour guide you through the greatest things that God wants to do in your life. So that's what I want to do in those, these final minutes together. Jot these down, and then we're going to pray. The first is you can declare your new association through water baptism. We did that this morning. In fact, some people say, why do I have to do this whole baptism thing? It's because of this teaching. Are you ready for this? Baptism doesn't save you. Baptism doesn't save you any more than this wedding ring makes me married. But why do I wear this wedding ring? If I take it off, am I married? Sure, so why do I wear it? It's a symbol to all the ladies, sorry, I'm taken, right? <laughs> Baptism is a symbol to the world, sorry, I'm taken. It's a declaration of your association. So I would encourage you to get baptized, and we baptized eight today, and I think we're gonna baptize some more next week. I'm pretty excited about it. Uh, we had some that couldn't get family here and couldn't, so if you wanna get baptized, go to our website, colonialhill.org, sign up, let's dunk you next week. Let's get baptized, saying, I, I place my faith in Jesus. I've done that. That's the first step. And now I want a declaration, a public declaration of this new association. Every baptism in Scripture, by the way, is post-decision. So you have to come to faith first. Believe first and then baptize. Let me show you a few instances. Acts 2.41, those who accepted his message were baptized. So I put my faith in Jesus and then I was baptized. I know some of you may have been baptized as infants or as children, and I'm not discrediting that. I'm not saying that wasn't important, but I'm talking about a biblical baptism is, is I believe you, I'm putting my faith in you, and now I'm gonna take the plunge with you. All right, look at Acts 8, 12. When they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news, so he's proclaiming the good news, says they believed him, of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Look at 8.13. Simon himself believed and was baptized. There's all these instances in scripture where somebody puts their faith in Jesus and they say, I'm gonna make a public declaration of this new association. And we would love to do that for you if that's something you would uh, like to do. Sign up online this week. Here's the second one. And that is, you need to think about church membership. And, and let me just say, it doesn't have to be this church. This is not a plea for you to come join Colonial Hill Baptist Church. This is not a, a membership push. There, there are great churches all over Snyder. I'm great friends with a lot of pastors here. I would attend their churches. Okay, a lot of great, great men and great leaders in this community. Uh, but check it out. You need to belong to one. I do. I think so. there are more than 30 verses in the New Testament alone that assume you found a family to worship with, to serve with, to give with, to pray with. You need to find a church family and make this a goal because notice again, it's your associations that are gonna make all the difference in the world. And we're gonna give you an opportunity at the end of service if you'd like to make this family your family. And here's the last one. And this is, uh, you ultimately need to find a small group, a small group, and that's where big church gets small. You need to find a few people that you spend time with and pray with, and we'll tell you more about small groups in the coming weeks. We're going to launch a brand new semester of small groups at the beginning of the summer. Um, I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes and just be very still, very quiet for just a moment. I want to pray for two things before I dismiss you, and the first is I want to pray for every one of you to go on a spiritual journey, and I want you to take seriously your relationships. So God, I'm praying 
for the courage of every person who's listening to my voice to think seriously about their relationships. God, help every one of them to find a place where they can declare what you've done in their life. Thank you, God, for last week. But now, Lord, let scores of people be water baptized, put on the wedding ring. Let the world know what happened in their lives, I pray. God, everybody in this room would find a good church, then commit their life to it, going on Sundays, following the recipe, letting their lives be changed through the relationship that you designed. And I pray, God, let every person who's listening to me find other Christians who they can take the mask off in front of and be honest with and pray with and be healed. I pray that you would let James 5, 16 be a reality in their life. They would confess their sins to somebody. They get prayer and they get healed. We confess our faults, we pray together, and we want to move on to the other promises that you have for our lives. And now with every head bowed and every eye closed, I, I, some of you are here saying, you know what, last week, Pastor Reed, I was a C. I was just considering, I was checking stuff out. I'm convinced though now. I'm ready to surrender my life to Jesus. Now you don't have to join a church to do that. You don't even have to get baptized to do that. You just need to believe. And for some of you, somewhere in the course of this service, you decided, I'm ready to be a believer. And I want to tell Jesus that I'm ready to surrender my life to him. And some of you need to do this because you've walked away from God. You were very close to God at one point, but you've walked away. And I'm, going to have you, I'm not going to have you stand. I'm not going to have you come to the front. I just want to pray with you and I want to pray for you. And even if you're watching on television, you say, Pastor Reed, I believe. I want to be a believer. Uh, I would love for you to make this declaration as well. Right there where you're seated. I want to lead you in a prayer. If that's you, I just want to know who I'm praying for. You say, Pastor Reed, count me in your prayer. Would you just slip your hand up just so I can know who I'm praying for? Awesome. I see you. I see you all over the building. Awesome. Awesome. I see you in the back. Awesome. Awesome. What does the Bible say? The Bible says to tell God. Say it with your lips. Believe it in your heart. So let me help you with the word. Say something like, Jesus, I'm ready. I'm ready to surrender because today I believe that you're the son of God that you lived, that you died, and that you rose again. And so today, I surrender the control of my life to you. Forgive me, Jesus. Cleanse me. I want to pursue everything you have for me. Whisper these words right where you're sitting, straight to heaven. Say, I give my life. Say it again. I give my life. If you genuinely believe that, you, my friend, are saved in that moment, in that instant. There's a home for you in heaven and the power of God works in you to be a brand new person. Somebody want to celebrate that with me? Come on, somebody. All the people that put their lives in Christ's hands today. Come on. That's awesome.